Shalom, Shalom. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm delighted to hear that you are drawn to the Jewish root that supports the grafted-in branches. You know, Torah is central to properly understand and perform the will of Hashem, that is, God. It is crucial for us to understand theologically that the primary purpose in Hashem's giving of the Torah as a way of making someone forensically righteous only achieves its goal when the person, by faith, accepts that Yeshua, Jesus, is the promised Messiah spoken about therein. Welcome to Parashat Vayigash, He Approached. The address is Breshit, Genesis chapter 44, verse 18, through chapter 47, verse 27. The reading date is for Shabbat, and I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman. This particular written commentary was updated on December 16th of 2005. Note, all quotations are taken from the Complete Jewish Bible, translation by David H. Stern, Jewish New Testament Publications Incorporated, unless otherwise noted. Let's begin with the opening blessing for the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bachar banu mikol ha'amim, benatan lanu et Torah to. Baruch atah Adonai noten ha'torah. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. You have selected us from among all the peoples and have given us your Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. The Torah portion that we're talking about today is a continuation of the last two portions, or two or three, I, I should imagine. We are talking about uh, Joseph and his brothers and the situation that the, the family has gotten themselves into. If you remember, the brothers have come down to Egypt to buy grain because the famine is great throughout the entire earth. And it is in this situation that Yosef is um, learning that his brothers don't recognize him. And so, um, we, because we've got a family get-together going on, um, I believe that, that this week's portion contains a very significant hint, uh, in Hebrew we would say remez, hint, about the current situation facing the nation of Israel today. Plus, uh, the Haftarah portion itself also seems to convey a very important message that I believe is pertinent to both the Jewish people and the church. So I'm going to try and see if we can pull those hints out of both the Torah portion and the Haftarah portion this time. So, we are going to hit both of them. Now let's just get a running start into the narrative of what's happening. Up to this point, Joseph has really remained unknown to his brothers. They don't know that he is the ruler of Egypt. I mean, they don't know that it's Joseph, their brother, who is this ruler before him. Uh, I believe it's because the spirit of the Holy One, uh, the Holy Spirit himself, was guiding Joseph as he as he puts his brothers through these various tests of integrity and humility. Um, although at times, as we read the narrative, it seems rather, how shall we say, cruel to treat them with such harshness. In fact, this scenario was the crucible, one could say, that would serve to break them down. They, the brothers, 
needed to learn a very valuable lesson. And it wasn't necessarily that Joseph was trying to teach him a lesson, as it was that God himself was um, bringing the brothers to the point where they would realize their own character flaws. And so they needed to learn this valuable lesson uh, so that they, they would be transformed, as it were, into the God-ordained family that they needed to be. Remember, there was a covenant call on the family of Israel. The twelve boys would eventually become twelve tribes. And there was a covenant promise made to Avram, Isaac, and Papa Yaakov that their nation or their families would bless the entire world. And so they're not going to be much of a blessing if they have such glaring character flaws as the ones we're reading about in the story before us. To be sure, if Yosef's brothers failed to learn how to put off their hate, their jealousy, their bitterness, their resentment, then we could imagine that countless more unnecessary suffering uh, might have taken place and their father Israel surely would have gone to his grave with a grieving soul. So, God is in the business of raising people up to the potential that he sees in them, not necessarily that we um, see in ourselves. That is to say, it's not merely the human potential that causes us to be who we are supposed to be. Rather, it's the Spirit of the Holy One working in us and through our situations to bring about the necessary changes in our lives so that we can be conformed to the covenant people that we're supposed to be. Now, admittedly, I'm reading a little bit of quote-unquote New Testament language into the text here, but I don't believe God changes any more than, uh, or changes uh, at all and situa people aren't any different then than they were, are today. We have the good, the bad, and the ugly. So we all go through the necessary paces, that is, to um, bring about the changes in our lives that are necessary, uh, commensurate with the calling that's on our lives. At any rate, Yosef has orchestrated a scenario by which the brothers have reached a position of checkmate, if I could use a uh, chess motif there. So they are in a position where if they the brothers, allow the guilty Benjamin to remain with Yosef. And I use the word guilty there because if you recall, this is the second time that the brothers have come down to Yosef to, to buy some grain from him. They came down the first time. They, they didn't know they were even speaking with Joseph. And they bought the grain, but Joseph recognized them. At any rate, he sent them on their way. They, they, they used the grain up, and then they told their father that, that this time they had to come back with the brother, uh, the the younger brother Benjamin and sure enough they did they came back uh, Joseph uh, uh, fed them and sent them on their way again but but Joseph had slipped his own goblet his his divining cup uh, kind of like a kiddish cup I guess into the pack of Joseph and sent them on their way again and then he sent his men out to overtake them and so they don't know the brothers don't know what's uh, what's happening behind the scenes Joseph knows and God surely knows of course so. Back to the uh, narrative here, the commentary. They're in a position of checkmate, uh, like a chess game would say. They, they're, they're in trouble. If they allow Benjamin to remain with Joseph, their father will surely die. Because in chapter, uh, let's see, it's chapter 43, um, th that they, they speak with their father, and, and the father just doesn't want to let Benjamin go. But remember, Judah persuades the father, look, the boy has to come with us, or else, um, or, or or else this this ruler is not going to uh, let uh, all of us go. So, um, 
So they're, they're, they're between a rock and a hard place. If, if Benjamin stays with Joseph, their father will die. And if they attempt to defy Joseph by taking Benjamin back to their father, then they all might die. So they're in a pickle, right? Um, my good friend, Pastor Peter Olson of The Harvest, where I uh, attend a synagogue every week, he's fond of saying, God fixes a fix to fix us. <laughs> and that seems to be what's happening right now, is that God has put the, the brothers in a position where they must deal with the situation fairly or else. There, ju- there just really isn't any other way to get around it. So, now, whether or not Yosef, the brothers, or Benjamin realize that it is Hashem who had cornered them now, and a reckoning must take place. God simply will not allow family members, especially people who have covenant call on their life, God won't allow them to simply um, live their lives the way that they would want to without reconciliation, without character development. God won't have it. If God places a call on your life, and this is for you listening to the podcast, if God has a call on your life, then you simply will not be allowed to live your life the way that you think that you might live it. God will orchestrate the necessary situations to bring about the change in you that God has uh, ordained should be there. Because after all, the book of Romans tells us that um, the good works that God has ordained in advance that we should walk in, God himself will empower us to walk in those good works. So, I'm not sure if, if, if Joseph or Benjamin or the brothers know what's going on. Either way, we're reading the text and we can look back using the Spirit of God uh, and be able to place that element back into the text and know that this is what's happening. The guilty brothers must come to grips with the sibling that they abandoned long ago. That's the reckoning. This next section is entitled, Understanding the Dispute of the Brothers. And the subtitle is Joseph, or Joseph the Idealist. I believe it's possible to approach the dispute between Joseph and his brothers from a number of different angles. Um, it's possible to see Joseph as an idealist dreaming dreams of redemption and salvation. Uh, as the sages teach, quote, Come and see all that befell Joseph befell Zion as well. It is written concerning Joseph, and Joseph had a dream, quoting Genesis 37.5. And it is written concerning Zion, quote, When God will return the captivity of Zion, we will be like dreamers, quoting Psalm 126, end quote. Joseph dreamed, for he had great ideals. True, he brings a bad report to his father concerning his brothers, but this is only because he makes such great behavioral demands of them. He feels that they are capable of more because of the weighty implications involved. He sees no other course than informing his father Jacob concerning the behavior of his brothers. And the brothers, on the other hand, take a different approach. They are more realistic, more pragmatic, if you will. Now what I'm going to do is I want to read... Um, a lengthy quote from Rabbi Zalman Melamed from his work Fathers and Sons and I uh, lifted this particular quote from a website yeshiva.org.il it's a um, Israeli website actually I'll give you the exact link after I read the entire quote so let me continue reading actually what I just read to you was from Z- uh, Rav Zalman's work let me continue Rav Zalman goes on to say 
It is possible to view this conflict in light of our present-day situation. For are we not, after all, the great-great-grandchildren of the forefathers, speaking of the Jewish people, and just as Joseph was designed I'm sorry, just as Joseph was despised for being a dreamer who longed for the redemption, so too today hatred is often fostered toward those who learn for the re- I'm sorry, towards those who yearn for the redemption of Israel. They go misunderstood and are often accused of dragging the nation into imminent danger or self-destruction. People believe that these dreamers want the unattainable, and the hatred at times is so great that quote they could not say a peaceful word to him. Quote, uh, end quote, lifting, from, lifting that quote from Genesis 37.4. Um, Rob Zolman goes on to talk about how that the, uh, Vilt, the, um, the, the Vilna Gaon, uh, it is told in his name of the Vilna Gaon, that, uh, who, by the way, the Vilna Gaon is a, a famous ruler. Uh, uh, that's his title. Uh, Vilna Gaon. Um, that, quote, all those who exert themselves settling the land of Israel, reestablishing the holy city of Jerusalem, and advancing the uh, redemption, those who strive to secure Jewish control over the land of Israel, possess something of, quote, Mashiach ben Yosef, end quote. That is, the Messiah from the line of Joseph. That's what Mashiach ben Yosef means. Um, the Vilna Gaon goes on to say that they continue in the spirit of Joseph, and they, like Joseph, go misunderstood. The true validity of their approach goes unrecognized. As it is written, quote, Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Again, a quote from Genesis 42.8. Rob Zalman um, goes on to say that Joseph possesses a great and deep vision and others do not succeed in understanding him. If only they were willing to recognize Joseph's leadership, says the Vilna Gaon, redemption would come immediately. Isn't that an interesting uh, correlation that the, uh, that the Vilna Gaon makes there? Um, Rob Zalman goes on to say that the sages of the Talmud teach us, quote, Joseph, for sanctifying God's name in a hidden private manner, was rewarded by having a letter from God's name, the Tetragrammaton YHVH, added to his own. He goes on to note that the Hebrew Yosef later became Yehosef, an additional he or an H being added, taken as it were from God's own name. And you can look at Psalm 81 verse 5, and you'll see, in fact, that it has Yehosef in the original Hebrew, not Joseph. Even if your translation at Psalm 81.5 has Joseph, I can assure you, if you look up the original Hebrew, there's an extra hay there. And so that's where Rob Zalman is getting his midrash. He continues by saying that Judah, quoting from the Talmud, continues, quote, for saying, I'm sorry, for sanctifying the name of God openly, publicly, Judah merited receiving a name that was made up of entirely of the letters of God's name. End quote. And in fact, if we um, look at that, the, the Hebrew Yehuda contains, albeit rearranged somewhat, all of the letters of God's name. Yod Hey and Vav and Hey are all in Judah's name. They're somewhat rearranged, but all of the letters are there. The above, Yehuda, appears to be in keeping with what we've been saying up till now. Joseph, if we'll notice, is an introspective type. 
He possesses inner spiritual strength. He is not afraid to go out and gather followers because he possesses unseen inner strength. Judah, on the other hand, sanctifies God's name openly. This is the appearance of the kingdom of Israel. And then finally, Rabbi Zalman Melamed goes on to say, uh, quote, Joseph opens up uh, excuse me, Joseph opens up channels, uh, gets the ball rolling, so to speak, such as the nature of Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David. The Messiah of the house of David comes along and completes the work, is what Rav Zalman is trying to say here. There are those who possess the might, the courage, and the bravery to initiate. Yet, he points out, they don't possess the qualities needed to finish the job. And this is not their strong point. Such is the nature of Yosef. Judah, on the other hand, represents culmination and completion. These, in essence, are the roots of the two distinct approaches that afterwards appear and reappear throughout Jewish history. We are called upon each one of us, to approach the sons of Jacob, the fathers of the twelve tribes of Israel, with an appreciation for their true greatness, and in so doing, to learn whatever possible from the significant courses that they followed. End quote. Rob Zalman uh, introduces for us a, a concept that is not well known in Christian circles, and that is the two Messiah theory we have Messiah, son of Joseph, and we have Messiah, son of David. And looking back through the scriptures, what happened is the rabbis um, looked at the type and shadow that that Joseph was was cast in, um, and it appeared to them that Joseph was a type of Messiah, um, just like I'm purporting now in my own commentary, and of which many Christian commentators would agree that Joseph is a type and shadow of Jesus, of Yeshua, the Messiah. But what the rabbis couldn't see was that Mashiach ben Yosef, Messiah, son of Joseph, and Mashiach ben David, Messiah, son of David, were in fact the same Mashiach, the same Messiah. Now we know that in the um, in the body of believers who have embraced Yeshua as both of these uh, uh, um, roles, we should say, but the rabbis were a little confused as to um, what was happening. At either rate, they see character traits within these two men, Yosef and David, and that is the um, picture that Rob Zalman is trying to draw off of in his quote from Fathers and Sons. If you're interested in that work, you can go to www.yeshiva.org.il slash midrash slash doc that's doc slash doc six slash e vaygash that's v-a-y-g-a-s-h 61 dot doc and you can also read the commentary that I just read there um, of course that was a year ago that I downloaded that so I'm not sure if it will still be there Let's continue on in my own commentary. This next section is entitled, Yehuda's Entreaty. As I mentioned at the onset of the story of the life of Yosef, his life was designated by Hashem to mirror that of a more famous son of Avraham, Isaac and Yaakov, and Israel, namely Yeshua. We know that as we look at the life of Joseph, the suffering that he um, 
went through at the hands of his brothers, the brothers, the misunderstandings that he went through, and yet the fact that God had um, preserved him to bring about uh, deliverance to his family. We know that this is, in fact, a shadow of Yeshua himself. Yeshua, let me, let me just uh, mention this, uh, um, some of the details there, comparisons. Yeshua was the only unique son of God in that Yeshua was not merely one of God's sons. We know this. He is God veiled in flesh. Yet, we learn that when Hashem took on humanity, he became humbled and obedient to death, even death at the hands of an angry mob. And this mob, if you remember, consisted of his brothers according to the flesh, the Judeans, the Jews, as well as Roman tormentors. Yosef, if we'll compare, was rejected by his brothers because of the anointing that rested upon him as well, and because he visibly enjoyed the favor of his father. See how the type and shadow works so closely together? In a, in a midrashic, kind of a homiletic kind of way, Yeshua was also rejected by his brethren. Actually, he was rejected literally by his brethren, um, the corporate Jewish nation, um, because of the anointing that rested upon him, and because of the, because of the fact that the father favored him. Now, I say midrashic because... Um, it wasn't exactly the same story. I mean, Jesus wasn't going around telling his brothers about the dreams that he was, ha that he was having per se. Uh, and and it wasn't exactly the same situation where his father was there on earth and things like that. But there's enough similarity that we can draw a strong comparison between the two. The same father that masterfully planned every facet of Yosef's life, the father in heaven, is in fact the same father that led Yeshua to the execution stake. The Father in heaven was leading both of these sons of Israel. It was not an accident that Yeshua was delivered into the hands of death. No, no, no. And it was no accident that Yosef was either. No, no, no. We know that God was orchestrating both events. We see over and over again that God himself aligns history to fulfill his very will. History is not spinning out of control, charting its own course. Events are not randomly... Uh, um, um, just simply happening uh, with God just scratching his head wondering what's happening. Uh, history isn't making its own history up, so to say. History isn't charting its own course. Mankind is not charting its own course. God is in control. Thus, as we read to the Torah portions and as you're listening to my commentaries, it's now becoming apparent that for the brothers, <laughs> there's no escaping the destiny that belongs to them. They're at a point where they're realizing that God is doing this. In fact, I'm looking back again at the text. Let's see, where was it? Um, in chapter 42, verse 27 through 28. But at camp that night, this is this is recalling the first time that they left. But at camp that night, as one of the milkmen is packed to give fodder to his donkey, he noticed his money. There it was, just inside his pack, his money was. He said to his brothers, my money has been restored. There it is, right in my pack. And listen to what it says now. At that, I'm sorry, at that, their hearts sank. They turned trembling to one another and said, quote, What is this that God has done to us? You see, they're beginning to get it now. God is doing this. And I believe it's with this realization at hand that Judah... Yehuda now steps to the forefront. So we're, we're kind of seeing a, a slight transition. In fact, you could say we have a double midrash or a double application of Messiah in this parasha, 
in Parashat Vayikash. We have two types of shadows happening, just like Rav Zalman pointed out. We have Mashiach ben Yosef, typified by Joseph, and we also have Mashiach ben David as typified in Judah, the um, um, leader of the group here. So what happens is, is that Judah has emerged as the leader of the brothers. Even though he's not the oldest, he's stepping forward. He, he took the initiative. And he's now prepared to disclose the heart of the matter. And what is that? Family, unity, and survival is at stake. Um, Judah, if you remember, is, is now going to speak as a spokesman for the entire group. He's going to express the concerns of all the other brothers and he's going to articulate to Yosef the uh, um, the reality that's facing them. He's going to put into words that which God is putting on the heart of all the brothers. And so that's why he is emerging as the leader, as it say. And in fact, that's why it says Vayigash, uh, the title of the Torah portion. Um, he approached the he in the Torah, in the Torah portion title. The he is, jo- is uh, Judah approaching Joseph. As we go on to read in the portion. Judah explains to Yosef that the actions of his fellow brothers has caused this great calamity. Do you hear what's happening, people? He's beginning to confess. He also admits that at all costs, the life of their father must be preserved. Speaking for the group, Yehuda confesses their guilt brought on by the internal knowledge that it was they who sold Yosef into slavery. It was they who really were causing the father's heart and soul to weaken, but compounded by the fact that they were also guilty of getting Benjamin involved in all of this mess. In desperation and humility, but delivered with heartfelt honesty, of course, Yehuda begs Yosef for mercy for the sake of their father. The speech of Yehuda in chapter 44, verses 18 through 34, reflects the heart of a man who has realized that without complete and utter utter selflessness, love cannot accomplish its goal. Speaking corporately, remember, he has come to the point where he realizes that one life cannot be preserved without the sacrificing of another. Indeed, it was Yehuda who promised to his father, if you remember, that if he, if the boy, Benjamin, did not return with Judah, that he himself, that Judah himself, would remain eternally indebted to his father. You can read that in chapter 44, verse 32. It was also Yehuda who decided before Yosef to become the substitute for his younger brother. You can read that um, in the very next verse, verse 33. So if you think about it, Judah was willing to become guilty so that life might be preserved. Whose life? His brother Benjamin, his remaining guilty brother's lives, and of course, the life of his father. Judah is willing to become the guilty one so that the lives of others would be spared. Judah is taking on the guilt of the entire family, so to say, so that they can be released by Yosef. Are you beginning to see the Messiah in Yehuda here? Jesus took on the guilt of the world for you and I, so that the Father's judgment would come down on his Son, and we would be excused. We would be set free 
It's an awesome type in shadow here. Therefore, in this parasha, as I mentioned earlier, we have a double portrayal of the Messiah Yeshua. Yosef has already been shown to be a shadow of the Messiah to come. How? In the pain and suffering of rejection that he experienced, while Yehuda, Judah, reflects the dual roles of servant and substitute that Yeshua became for his guilty brothers. It's a beautiful Torah picture. Yehuda was willing to forsake his own life for the lives of his family members. Yeshua, our Messiah, laid down his own life so that his family might have life in return. Of course, the comparison of Yehuda to Yeshua is rather inadequate in that the sacrifice of Yeshua affected the entire world rather than just one family. But still, it is, any, is it any wonder that God has preserved for us these stories in the Torah so that we can see a beautiful betrayal of our own Messiah, Yeshua, of the Master as he laid his life down for us? Yeshua, I'm sure, was familiar with the Torah portions. Surely Yeshua realized that as his, his, the events of his life were drawing to an end near those final hours, as he was suffering and as he was being led to the execution stake, surely the stories of Yosef and Yeshua, Yehuda came to his mind and he realized, Father, I am the, the, the reality that was portrayed in these stories. I am he of which these stories pointed towards. 